Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We have some different prayer objectives when it comes to fasting and prayer over these last 21 days, uh, like individually to draw closer to God. Did anybody sense that, that you drew closer to God just by taking some time just to be specific in praying, fasting, and seeking His face? Experiencing maybe a spiritual refreshing, that can happen as well. Uh, Also to find maybe grace that you need to help in a particular time of need. Thank God we can go to the throne of grace and find it. In some cases, it takes 21 days to break a bad habit. A person can do that during that time. Staying before God, breaking a bad habit. Restocking, we said some empty shells like remembering to be merciful, forgiving, kind, and loving. And then also, it's a good way to receive healing. Healing from the Lord, fasting and prayer opens up the door to God's healing power as well. As Isaiah 58 made it very clear, your health shall spring forth speedily. Increasing the anointing that we walk in. Thank God for the increase of the anointing. Have a greater measure of the anointing manifesting in our lives to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to rekindle also some, let's say, spiritual activities that maybe sometimes we neglect or let fade away a little bit. Prayer, Bible study, and that sort of thing. And uh, witnessing Jesus to others. But um, those are some of the objectives. Tonight, just for a few moments before we pray together, Uh, I want to share with you some thoughts about being effective in our prayers or effectively praying. So in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, this is the Elijah the prophet having an encounter with the prophets of Baal. And here's what he says. Elijah came and all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. So here we have Elijah in a situation where he knows that the people of Israel are guilty of serving two masters, which Jesus said you can't do that. Is Jehovah God? Then serve him. Is Baal God? Then serve him. Well, they were involved in both. And if you study Baal worship, you find out that it was everything that they were doing that was detestable in the sight of God. He detested those things. They were offering up their babies as sacrifices putting up altars and worshiping false images and gods. Anything and everything that God detested, that's exactly what the people were doing. It's hard for me to even imagine that they could experience what they experienced in God and then shift over to worship a false image and a false god after they saw the Red Sea part, etc., etc. All those wonderful things that God did for them. But yet they did. That's human nature and they gravitated toward that. He thought that he was the only prophet that was left. And as a result, of course, he did what he could to possibly restore them back to God. He didn't compromise. He was still walking with God. And so, of course, you know the story that he set up uh, basically a challenge before the prophets of Baal and said, okay, if, if he's God, then let him answer by fire. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And of course, they tried to get their God, Baal, to answer by fire, and they couldn't do it. But he said, you know, if Jehovah's God, then worship him, follow him. Well, How was he going to get them to really follow the Lord? It was his intention and purpose. These were his objectives. 
that he was going to bring down the altars of Baal. He was and, and destroy Baalism among the people. He was going to erect the uh, altar to the Lord so that he could reestablish once again true worship of God. And then thirdly, he was going to put an end to Israel's spiritual drought. In other words, create a revival among the people. But how was he going to achieve this goal? What would he do if, let's say, they all came against him and they tried to destroy him? What weapon would he use for his own defense? Well, he didn't come up with any fancy program. He came up with something that was very simple for all of us. It's called prayer. Prayer is connecting with God. Prayer is connecting with God. Let's read it. 18, 36. Came to pass as the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Or Jacob. Now remember, that's covenant talk, so keep that in mind. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. That's an act of worship. And that I am thy servant. I'm obedient and serving you. And that I have done all these things at your word, according to your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Imagine being in a situation where you have to reach a group of people and get their hearts to be turned back to God. Or maybe they're serving God one day and not the next day. Or serving both two masters as these people were doing. I'm sure we all have family members, friends, loved ones that we know, maybe people that we work with and that sort of thing. And, and they're still maybe indecisive as to whether or not they're going to serve self or serve God. What's he going to use? What program is he going to come up with? Some fancy thing? Mm -mm. No. Here's what he does. Number one, he is confident. He comes before God. And he calls upon the strength of the covenant to appeal to God so that he would move his mighty power and manifest it in the lives of the people. You know what? That's what it takes. We have to believe that when we pray and release the power of God upon a person's life, that God will respond and send fire from heaven and touch their hearts and touch their lives. Sometimes we try to do it in our own strength or ability or with programs and that sort of thing. And thank God for social activities and programs that can bring people together. But you know what? What only pierces the heart is the word and power of God. The Holy Spirit penetrating the heart with the word and just convicting a person of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Secondly, notice he said, you are God. Reminding himself, but also letting him know, I'm trusting in you. You are the living God. That's worship. As we did here this evening, just before, you know, 7 o'clock here, 6.30 to 7, on purpose, we come to worship God. We come to bless his holy name. We've come to honor him in this place. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, if you're going to be effective in prayer at all, when you pray, you pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, worship him, honor him, bless him, magnify, glorify him, rejoice in him. And that's what he did. Thirdly, he was obedient. He says, I am a servant. I've come. He's the servant of the most high God. It's important to remember that. 
Obedience, praise God, is better than sacrifice. And when we walk in obedience before God, we know that we're in a position where he can hear and answer our prayer. The next thing he said was, I'm doing this according to your word. Did he have a specific word for that? If he did, he got it from the throne of God itself. This is what I want you to do. Maybe he brought it to the Lord and said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And he said, this is what I want you to do. Set up this uh, challenge between uh, Baal and his prophets and you. And they set that thing up. It could be he was just saying that it was based on the general revealed will of God that the people of God should be worshiping the living God, the one that brought them out of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. But whatever it was, it was according to the word of God. And the following thing was his motive. Did you notice the motive that was in there? His motive was to turn their hearts back to God. To turn their hearts back to God. So we see here that he was confident to go before God. He worshiped God. He was obedient to God. He based what he was doing upon the word of God. He had the word of God for it, which is where faith comes from. And then finally, his motive was pure. He wanted to see God move upon their hearts to turn them back to worship the living God. So imagine 300 prophets and all the people against him. And he needs to come up with a way that he's going to touch their hearts and bring them back to God. Well, what happens is the fire fell. The results. The fire fell from heaven. Can we put a price tag on that? Oh, how rich is that? How we long for that. Every time we gather together, it should be a longing desire of our hearts that God, our Father, sends the fire of his Holy Spirit upon us and among us in this place. Just like he did on Pentecost, cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them that every person comes with a pure heart, with a desire to see the very glory of God manifest in their lives. It's not just coming to put in a time I went to church and I spent my time going to church and maybe studying the word of God for a little bit. But we have a longing desire to really experience the very presence, power, and the glory of God. And it's not just us, but also out there. Father, send your fire, praise God, in the lives of, it could be a child, it could be a work associate, whoever it might be. May your fire fall upon them. I, I believe that when conviction comes upon someone, the Holy Ghost is not going to let them go. The Holy Ghost is not going to let them go. And we make a highway for him to continue his mighty working in their lives by just believing God and thanking God. May the fire fall. Next Look what happened. The people repented. They all repented on their faces before God. What did they say? Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Oh, Lord, you are God. Bill wasn't God. Oh, they tried and they failed. But Jehovah, he is God. <clears throat> and then finally, the enemy was defeated. Now, this is hard to swallow. I know about you, but it's hard to accept the fact. But he took them aside. Elijah took all the prophets of Baal, and he killed them all. I know some things are hard to relate to. <clears throat> I mean, I know it was wrong for them to do what they did, but to kill them all? Wow. They were all dead. And if you think about it, it was their influence. And they were judged. They were judged because of the influence they influenced the people of God to stray away from God, and God was not happy. So as a result, they lost their lives. That's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? Think about it. How do we apply this to our lives? 
Why are we here? Why are we doing that we're doing? Praying and fasting and waiting on God and looking to Him because we want to see the firefall. We don't want programs that entice people to come. Whatever you bait them with, you're going to have to keep them with. We want God in this place. We want God in our individual lives, in our marriages, in our families. We want to experience the refiner's fire of the glory of God that manifests itself to change us to be more like Jesus, to conform to his very image so that husbands could love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives can submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And so children would respond in humility before their parents and honor them. And that employers in the workplace would work hard as if you're working for the Lord. You see, you can tell someone to do this, but they'll think you're just browbeating them. But I'm telling you, when the fire falls and they see it and their eyes are open, hmm, how do we do this? Look at number one, confidence. It takes confidence. He was confident before those prophets of Baal, wasn't he? Oh, he was so confident, he was so sure that God was going to manifest himself. He made sport of them, knowing there's no way, no possible way, Baal was going to send any fire from above. At one point he said, maybe your Baal's taking a nap. Or maybe he took a bathroom break. Remember that? He might be, you know, just give him a minute, just give him a little bit of time, and maybe he'll come and send some fire down, but nothing happened. He was confident. He was so confident, he filled up the trench with water all around, the sacrifice with water, and the wood with water. How many know wet wood doesn't burn too easily, right? And why the trench around? Because they actually had this belief that these evil spirits would manifest from beneath, coming up from the ground, and the fire could be a false fire that would come up that way. So he, he made sure that everything was just flooded with water. And then when he said, Lord, let them know that you're God, and the fire fell and consumed everything in the place, they knew it was a holy flame. They knew it was a holy fire. Don't we want that kind of reality? Absolutely. Well, you know what? We've got to move as he did in confidence. We've been told that we are privileged people and that we can come before the throne of God with a holy boldness. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, this new and living way that he has opened for us, we're to come boldly by the blood of the Lamb to the holiest place of all. And the enemy would want to make us feel like as though we don't belong there, feel guilty, all kind of, say, condemnation that he'll heap on us. But you know what? That's not the way to go to God. He wants us to be confident as we enter into his presence, into his throne. Number two, we are to worship him. I've come first and foremost to get my eyes off of myself or the situation. But I have come to worship you. I have come to bless and exalt you. You are God, the living God, the holy one, the mighty one, the omnipotent one. So we come boldly to the throne of grace, having access by the blood. We worship him, praise God in spirit and in truth. And we just rejoice in him, the God of our salvation, just as he did. And thirdly, we want to make it very clear that we're obedient and we're serving him with our lives. In other words, we're walking with him the best we possibly can. We don't want to be walking in, in sin and in anything that would uh, be displeasing to God. 
And thank God we're cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we can enter that way boldly, knowing that we belong there. And if there's anything that we need to ask forgiveness for, we can do that on the way in. But praise God, we're serving the Lord. Number four, we don't go into the throne without the word of God. Lord, this is what you said. This is what your word says. We come with confidence and boldness, knowing that this is your will because this is what your word says. And so we're coming by the authority of your word and we're believing for you to watch over it, to make it good and perform it. So whatever it might be that we're looking for, that we're asking for, we're going to do it that way. Praise God. Whether we're praying for our nation, as the word says, pray for those in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in our God. Let's say many would be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Did you ever think about that for a while? What does it mean to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? What does it mean to pray for peace of a city? Or what about how do we pray for the peace of a city? Do we pray for the buildings and the property that's all around? Is that what we're to do? Or are we to pray for the spiritual condition of the people? Jerusalem, you know, actually means that God will provide perfect peace by paying a price for it. And that's what, that's what the word actually means. That's what the name actually means. Jeru, the first, the first part, Jeru, Yeru, and then Salem, Salem. You put those two together, it was the place where God was going to provide reconciliation and peace between God and man is exactly what it means. It's the city of the great king. It's called the city of God. And would you believe that they, they came up with a, a separate uh, laws by which Israel, I mean, Jerusalem is governed. Corpus separatum. They did that for them. Because it's such a holy place that it stands alone as to how it's going to be ruled. It's amazing that they even did this. And it's also amazing to realize that people are making, for example, the whole entire world, for some reason, looks to Jerusalem and Israel because, first of all, God called it the center of the world. He called it the place of his habitation. He said that he would live in that place forever. Solomon built him a temple there. It was destroyed. The next one, it was destroyed. But that was the place of his dwelling. That's where he would abide. That's where he would live forever and ever and ever among men. And we know when he comes back, it's going to be the new Jerusalem. And we know that, right? So that's where he's going to be. Which is why Satan can't stand that place because that represents where God is and he can't stand that. And that's why the bloodshed and that's why all the attacks come upon the Israeli people, the Jewish people, because of that fact. And so what does he say in, in Isaiah 62? He's going to raise up watchmen on the wall to pray. To pray for the peace of Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. It's the city of God that he selected for himself. And so we're to pray for the city and we're to pray the way God wants us to pray so whether it's for our nation whether it's for Jerusalem and the nation of Israel whether it's for the church our church a, a body uh, whether it's your family it's yourself whatever praise God we you know we come with the word of God and let God know this is what you said and we're basing our prayers on what you said on your word knowing that's what you want over to perform and to make good now you said for example, you'd bring my child home from the land of the enemy to his own borders where he can serve you faithfully. And so you know what? I'm believing that you're doing that. You are bringing my child home from the land of the enemy to his own borders where he can serve you faithfully and walk with you and fulfill his will or her will for your life. And then also, the motive. What's your motive? What's our motive for doing what we've been doing for these 21 days? 
What's your motive? Our motive should be pure. That we long to see God manifest his glory among us and his power among us. That there would be a continuous flow of the power and the anointing of God that saves the lost, that heals the sick, that sets the captives free, that blesses people, that brings victory into our lives, that restores relationship, restores marriages, that gets a hold of our children to get them to walk uprightly before God and to live for God, heal sick bodies, deliver those that are bound by demonic influences and forces and, and liberate them and set them free from these powers of darkness. These are the reasons, these are the motives. This is what we want to destroy the work of the enemy. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And break every yoke. These are the motives that we have. We want to see God manifest himself. In a powerful and glorious way. To be honest with you. Education is one thing. Teaching is another. But we want reality. We want experienced reality. And we want to see manifestations. Of the greatness of our God. In doing these things, saving the lost, healing the sick, and setting the captives free. And to be honest with you, there's a name above every name that we face in this life. And that name is the name of Jesus. And we have a right to use it in every part of our walk of life. Praise God. And so, these are the things we want to see. What we want to achieve. And so as we begin this year, we enter into what God wants. I believe this is what God wants. He wants to show up. More than we want him to show up. He wants to show off. More than we want him to show off. But I believe he wants to do it. You ready for it? Let's gather together and let's pray.